Good morning, everybody. I love when the worship preaches because it makes my job so much easier. What a good job, worship team. Uh, I feel like I've already heard from God this morning, so easy street for me. Uh, How many of you guys were afraid of the dark when you were younger? Raise your hand. Slept with the nightlight on. You had to have someone check under your bed or in the closet. How many of you are sitting next to someone who's still afraid of the dark? Yeah, yeah. Uh, It is estimated that 11% of American adults are afraid of the dark, which is why we have church during the day, so you're welcome. I had a psychology professor who was a bit nutty. Uh, He would intentionally hide and scare his kids. I think it was job security, create phobias, and then try to cure the phobias. Uh, He admitted to hiding under the bed of one of his kids when they were quite young waited until the lights were out, they were snug as a bug in a rug, and then reached up and grabbed them and scared them. I think I would have discovered a new octave. I would have screamed so loud. That bed would have been a waterbed when he got done. (laughs) The dark can be pretty scary, especially if you have a lunatic for a father. Throughout history, nighttime and darkness have been associated with evil. The gospel writer John uses that metaphor over a dozen times comparing darkness to evil. In fact, in old westerns, you always knew who the bad guy was because they always wore black. You knew from the beginning. There was no surprise. Oh, that's the bad guy. So you picked your outfit carefully when you were in a western. You know, you wake up Sunday morning, babe, why did you pick out my black outfit? Are you trying to say something? Even Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus doesn't want us to live from the shadows, living from a place of dark thoughts, questionable actions, and secrets. He wants us to step into the light of integrity and transparency. Hiding never leads to healing. He wants us to live in the light. In a scary movie, most of the fright happens at night. Listen to a few of the more popular titles. A Nightmare on Elm Street, Night of the Living Dead, Nightmare Before Christmas, Five Nights of Freddy's, and Silent Night, Deadly Night, if you want a little Christmas with your scary. There's not too many scary movies that take place during the day, unless you count the animated movie Frozen. I can't think of anything more scary than the song Let It Go being stuck in my head over and over and over again. While we tend to fear the darkness out there, we should fear the darkness in our hearts even more. We are starting a new series titled Monsters Among Us. When we hear the word monster, we tend to think of werewolves, vampires, or little sisters. But the greatest monsters tend to live a little closer to home. The monsters we want to focus on during this series is unforgiveness. Everyone say unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will cause more damage than any werewolf, mummy, or vampire. Unforgiveness is extremely damaging to you and the people around you. This morning, we're going to focus on the hardest person to forgive. Who do you think is the hardest person to forgive? Yourself. Yourself is the hardest. Who said Pastor Dan? Yourself. Yourself is the hardest person to forgive. It's often a lot easier to forgive the person sitting next to you than it is yourself. We don't want to be the one who was stupid, selfish, sinful. It's hard to be the face of grace. It's easier to beat ourselves up than it is to build ourselves up. 
to allow past sins to become a permanent sentence in our life. Let's stand and read our theme verse this morning. This comes from Psalm chapter 51, verse 1 through 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out all my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. You may be seated. My sin is always before me. In other words, David says, my past haunts me. When a musician is being interviewed, one of the questions people like to ask is, is what were you thinking about or who were you thinking about? What's the backstory to this song? For example, a gentleman by the name of Paul Kraft in 1976 wrote the following words, drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life, end over end, neither left nor to right. Straight through the heart of them righteous uprights. Drop kick me Jesus through the goalpost of life. They just don't write songs like that anymore. First off, when has anyone ever drop kicked a football through the goalpost? I don't think you would make it into the NFL if that was your style. Second, when did Jesus ever drop kick anybody? It's just not a very good picture of Christ. But knowing what Paul was going through would help explain what he was trying to get at. Why this metaphor meant so much to him. Out of all the Psalms David wrote, there's only a handful that we know the historical background for. We know what inspired the dear diary moment or the dear journal moment. When David wrote these words that my my past was always before, my sin was always before me, he was close to 50 years old. He wasn't a hormonal teenager, but he saw a beautiful woman and he made a decision that haunted him. Well, he was able to slay the bear conquer a giant, defeat an army. He became his own worst enemy and it haunted him. While sin lasts a moment, guilt can last a lifetime. While sin lasts a moment, that pleasure lasts a moment, the guilt of it can last a lifetime. Many of us could pen the words, my sin was always before me. And some of us even have embarrassing tattoos as reminders. My sin was always before me. I coined a new word this week. I'm sure most of us have heard the phrase nincompoop. How many of you guys have ever heard nincompoop? It's a foolish or stupid person. If you haven't heard of it, you've at least met one. I coined the word incompoop. Everyone say incompoop. This is someone who's stupid with their money. They virtually flush it down the toilet through fast food, credit cards, high interest rates, payday loans, not acting their wage. You have to think about that a little bit. Maybe you are smart with your money now, but you are haunted by past financial decisions. Your sin is always before you in the form of annoying debt collectors who call you. When Eve gave birth to her first kid with no epidural, her past sin haunted her, and she made sure it haunted Adam as well. You did this to me. When Moses watched the Israelites walk into the land of Canaan, and he got left behind, His past sin haunted him. When Eli lost his position as priest and a much younger Samuel took his position, his sin haunted him. My sin was ever before me. See, people don't like to let us forget. How many of you have ever known somebody like that? Like you do something wrong and they remind you as often as possible about that one time that you did that one thing 40 years ago. A buddy of mine asked if I could, did someone say let it go? 
We will not reference Frozen anymore during this sermon. Let it go, people. Let it go. A buddy of mine asked if I could give his ride to school one time. And it was one of those last-minute requests. Their vehicle wasn't working. So I, being a pastor and a servant, said, yes, I will be there. So I show up, and in my haste to jump out and get his son, I left the car in drive. And when I came out, I noticed that my car wasn't in the same spot as where I left it. It had driven forward into his garage. How often do you think he brings that story up? Every chance he gets. My sin is ever before me, especially when Chris McDaniel is around. How many of you have ever heard the expression, a skeleton in your closet? In the 1800s, physicians were very curious about human anatomy, but it was illegal to dissect a person unless they had been a criminal. So it was very rare for a doctor to have a cadaver to experiment on. So if they got one, they coveted it and didn't want to get rid of it. Well, you can't just leave a cadaver anywhere. So they would put it in a closet, which is where you got the phrase, a skeleton in the closet. Now, side note, if I had a doctor and I assumed he had a cadaver hiding in his closet, I would not be going to that doctor anymore. I don't care how cheap he is. But when we use the phrase, a skeleton in the closet, we're referring to something like a a past sin or a past thing that we're ashamed of that we don't want anyone else to know about. Maybe for some of you, it's a DUI. Or maybe it's an affair or a failed marriage. Maybe you got fired from your job and you don't want anyone else to know about how you lost it. Maybe it's the abortion that still haunts you. Or maybe it's some other sexual experience. Perhaps for a while you were known as inmate number 37842. Or perhaps you've introduced yourself for a number of years as, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. And what you did or what happened back then still defines you today. In fact, it's become who you are. It's your reputation. It's your identity. My sin was always before me. I was counseling someone who was having a hard time forgiving themselves. They prayed They read the scriptures. They knew what scripture said about God's forgiveness, but they couldn't forgive themselves. They were crippled by their past. So I had them write down everything that haunted them on a piece of paper. We attached it to a large rock. We drove down to Lake Michigan, and we threw it into that lake. Symbolic of letting go of those sins. Letting go of that thing that had crippled them. My sin was always before me. When a man named Elijah was ready to retire from being the prophet in Israel, their pastor in Israel, he went around trying to track down his apprentice, a student that could take his place. While searching, he found a young man named Elisha. How convenient. His name's Elijah, and he finds an Elisha. They used to mess me up. I could never keep those names straight. Elijah and Elisha. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21. So Elisha, the apprentice, left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Elisha was a farmer, and as a farmer, his most important tool was the ox and the cart. And yet when Elijah tapped him on the shoulder and says, hey, I have a new job for you, Elisha chops up the cart, creates a bonfire, chops up the ox, gets some barbecue, and has a block party. In other words, Elisha wanted to make sure that he could never revert to his past. He wanted to keep his eyes on the horizon. By burning that stuff, he made it so that there was no choice to go back. He couldn't just go to Lowe's and buy a new ox and a new cart. 
He said, my past is now behind me, and I'm going to focus on what God has in front of me. Some of us need to hear that this morning. We're so focused on our failure. We're so focused on our past that we're not seeing what God has right in front of us. Elisha will go on to perform double the miracles that Elijah did. But to do that, he had to let go of his past. Over a dozen years ago, I had three incidences take place in my life that I had to deal with my past, which I had found embarrassing. Number one, I applied for health insurance. So they had someone come over and ask me the dreaded questions. Have you smoked cigarettes or done drugs in the past 10 years? I had to answer yes and then explain what drugs I used and abused in the last 10 years. At that point, I had been clean for six years. I had served as a youth pastor. I had helped other people come out of addiction, and yet I still didn't get the insurance because of my past sins. My past still haunted me. Second, I applied for college and had to send them all my transcripts and explain why my GPA was so low and why I had dropped out of high school. I was accepted, but they put me on academic probation and said that I had to prove myself over the next year to see if I would be able to stay in the school. My past still haunted me. I was so depressed. I mean, I was being held for what I had done in my past. It was being held against me. I felt almost as low as Cookie Monster when Sesame Street made him a quasi-vegetarian. That's how low I felt. Number three, I took an AIDS test where they asked me probing questions about my sexual history. Have you ever had unprotected sex? How many sexual partners have you had? Why did you decide to get the AIDS test? There's all these charts of sexually transmitted diseases around you. You feel so dirty. The whole time I'm sitting in the clinic, I'm worried that I'm going to run into somebody from church. I was a youth pastor at the time. So, Pastor Dan, why are you here? Praying for the sick. The real question is, why are you here? Like it or not, our past has a way of sticking with us. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it always just goes away, just disappears. We would like to invent a time machine and go back and change it, but we can't. Or to have a machine that can just remove certain memories, but we can't. The sad thing is that we can't change it, erase it, or even forget it. In fact, there's two things that not even God can do. One, God can't sin. Two, God can't change the past. So if we can't change the past, and a lot of us have things in our past that we would love to change, what do we do about it? The Apostle Paul once said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, I am focusing all, everyone say all, my energies on this one thing. This, this should clue us in that this is really important. If he's putting all his energy into this one thing, maybe, just maybe, we should follow in his footsteps. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past. Everyone say forgetting the past. Forgetting the past and focusing on what lies ahead. Following a rags-to-riches season for the, the Rose Bowl, a team from Northwestern University, the Wildcats, had won. The first time in many years they'd won the Rose Bowl. It's kind of the Super Bowl of college football. Gary Barnett, their head coach, he gets up, and it's 1996, and they're celebrating their win from 1995, and then winning the Rose Bowl, and, and he gets this incredible trophy for being an awesome coach, and, and different teammates, they all get trophies. And after he gives a little bit of a speech, he walks up to a garbage can marked 1995, the year before, and he throws his trophy in that garbage can. 
Everyone kind of looks at him a little dumbfounded, like, you just got this really cool trophy. Why in the world are you throwing it away? And then another one of the students came up, and he took his trophy, and he threw it in the trash. And another one, and another one. And symbolically, they said, you know what? It was great that we won last year, but it's not last year anymore. That win isn't going to help us with this year. And in the same way, maybe last year was a great year for you, or maybe last year was the worst year of your life, but I've got news for you. It's not last year anymore. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's time to let go of the past and start looking towards the future. What does God want to do with those experiences? Philippians 3.13, I am focusing all of my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. According to the Apostle Paul, we should all try to forget our past and move forward. If anyone knew about a past that haunted him, it was Paul. You guys know what he used to do before he was Apostle Paul? He was Paul that went around beating up and persecuting Christians. Not quite the MO that you want for being Apostle Paul. You know, I imagine Peter, Paul, and them all sitting around like, well, we never did what Paul did. You know, Paul was probably reminded by Satan on a daily basis, you do not deserve to be an apostle. You do not deserve to be in the position that you are in. You don't deserve to be writing these letters to the churches because you are a sinner. You are a failure. You, pers- you ruined families. And not only did you persecute individual Christians, but you ruined families when you did that. You don't deserve to be here. And yet Paul says, I do all I can to forget my past and to move forward. Now, we can't literally forget our past. In fact, they say that in a marriage, the one who wins the argument is the one who has the longest memory, which is why wives usually win. The word forget here means neglect. Everyone say neglect. Okay, think about like if you were in a trial and somebody said something, a witness said something, or a lawyer said something, and the judge says, strike that from the record. Does the jury literally forget what just was written down? No, they don't forget it. But what happens? They can't hold it against that person. That's what the word neglect means. When he says, I forget my past, he's not saying, I forgot about it. Paul, in fact, actually talks about it on a number of occasions in a number of his letters. But he says that I neglect it from the standpoint, I don't allow it to be held against me. I'm no longer defined by it. Paul says that we are to forget the past and focus on what's lying ahead. I look at it like driving. It's good to check your rear view mirrors. I highly recommend it, especially when you're changing lanes. But don't drive focused on the rear view mirror. Shortly after I got my driver's permit, I couldn't wait to drive. I was at church with my mom, and she was on the worship team. It was bright and early, and she's there setting up. And I asked if I could drive the car just around the parking lot, and she said no. And I did what kids do best. I asked again, and again, and again, and again, and again. What do parents normally do? Just take the keys and get out of my hair. So she gives me the keys with this warning. Don't run anything. I'm like, Mom, there's only two cars out there. How am I going to run into anything? So I get out there, and I get into the car, and I start putting it into reverse, And what do I hear? I hear my dad's voice in the back of my head. When backing up, you need to focus on what's behind you. All right. So I focus on what's behind me. And I start backing up and I start turning to, you know, get to where I'm going. And what do I hear? I hear the scraping of two cars rubbing together, kind of hugging each other. And all of a sudden things are crunching. And all of a sudden I look and it's the pastor's car that I'm running into as I'm trying to back out. Only vehicle in the parking lot. I hit that car. Great. The first accident I am ever in is a pastor's car. I'm going to HE double hockey sticks for sure for doing that. 
I was so focused on what was behind me. I mean, there was no cars back there. I was great at missing that stuff. But I couldn't see what was right in front of me. Some of us are driving through life that way. We're so focused on the past that we can't see what's right in front of us, and it's causing us to get into some accidents. God said through the prophet Isaiah, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. Don't focus on the past. I am doing a new thing. When we dwell on the negative aspects of the past, it has a tendency to bring us down and hold us back. There's this scene in the movie, Captain Hook, where Hook has learned the secret of flying. What's the secret of flying in Neverland? First you need some pixie dust and then what? Happy thoughts. Hook finally learns the secret. He gets some pixie dust, some happy thoughts, and he's flying. And what do the kids do? They all begin to shout, old, alone, done for, because kids are the worst. Here Hook's dreams are coming true. He's getting to fly, and they ruin it for him. Old, alone, done for. But Hook tries to fight those thoughts with happy thoughts, and he's trying to fly, fly, but they keep shouting, old, alone, done for. Eventually, Hook looks down, and he sees the crocodile underneath him. He begins to freak out, and it gets harder and harder to hold on to the good memories because the kids, who are the worst, keep yelling, old, alone, done for. Eventually, he agrees with them, old, alone, done for, and he falls. And so many of us, you know, God's sprinkled the pixie dust. He's given us the happy thoughts of his word, but that's not the voice we're listening to. We keep hearing our past, and it keeps saying, old, alone, done for. Failure, failure, failure. And it's dragging us down, and it's pulling us into the mouth of that gator. Did you know that the notion of indebtedness is closely linked to the root meaning of the word guilt. Guilt and gold come from the same Anglo-Saxon word, guilt, which means to pay. Guilt and gold both come from the same notion of to pay. When we feel guilty, what do we often feel like we need to do? We need to pay for it. We need to do something to offset why we feel so guilty. It's the reason why when, when you start feeling sinful and you start feeling guilty, it's the reason why a lot of you are like, I need to make chocolate chip cookies for Pastor Dan. That's why you had that feeling, you know, it's that, that, that sense of indebtedness. I'd say just go with it. You know, I mean, if you're feeling that, I mean, it's not going to offset your sins, but it will make me feel good. You see, you can write checks and still feel blackmailed by your feelings of guilt. We write check after check after check after check, and you still feel old, alone, done for. Fortunate for us, we don't have to. The beautiful thing is that God wants to erase our guilt and replace it with the word grace. This is what God says about your past. I'm just going to read some passages of Scripture. Let, let, let's God speak to you for a minute. These are his words. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. If that doesn't make you want to do the Snoopy dance, you might want to check your pulse. I remember your sins no more. But if that's not enough, let me read another one for you. Isaiah 44, 22. I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. Micah 7:19. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depth of the ocean. Psalm 103, verse 12. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Old Testament's not good enough for you? Let me give you some New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation. Let me say that again. There is no condemnation. Let me say that again. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemnation, if you're being haunted by your past, if the sin... If the sin is holding you down, I gotta stand for this one. If the sin is holding you down, that's not God. That is Satan who's holding you back. Old, alone, done for. Shut your face, devil. God says that I am young, I'm beautiful, and I can fly. We need to know that. We need to embrace that. God wants to bring purpose to your pain triumph to your tragedy. He wants you to know that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, even the weapons you help build. No weapon formed against you shall prosper because God has got your back. We should be like Australia who puts on their coat of arms an emu and a kangaroo because both of them can't go backwards. They literally can't moonwalk. It's physically, you put on Michael Jackson, they won't do it because they can't go backwards. And they put it on there to say that we don't live in our past. We look forward to our future. Some of us need to realize that that's what the cross is all about. You don't have to pay for your sin. It's been paid for you already. Move forward. Amen. I'm going to amen my own stuff from now on. Amen, Dan. You did a good job. Amen. Your past doesn't have to define you. Who you were doesn't have to determine who you could be. You are a human becoming. You are not what you were. You will never outgrow your need for grace. Newsflash, you're not perfect and you never will be. Not until you step foot into the gates of heaven. You are a sinner, but you are saved by grace. We will always need forgiveness. It's time to step out of the darkness of guilt into the light of grace. Isn't it beautiful? There's a reason why it's called good news. But many of us live as if it's bad news. We're walking around like we're just carrying bad news. We just see ourselves as so awful and so ugly and so terrible when we should be living in the freedom of grace. No matter what we've done, grace. No matter how many times we've done it, grace. Jesus knew when he called you that you would need grace. Not just for all the things that you did up to that moment, but for all the moments until you see him. Grace. Grace, amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I'm gonna need that grace from now to eternity. It doesn't say that, but it should have. (laughs) Grace, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that I don't have to live in guilt, that there's no debt for me to pay, that you paid it all. Uh, Like the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. My sins are as far as the east is from the west. You've thrown it into the ocean. You will remember it no more. Therefore, I need to remember it no more. In your name, amen.